Oh, you made anyway. my you made my lights blink blue and red. Wow. Wow. Cool. Neat. Even though I've been ignoring that message for like weeks, I think. <laughs> I don't know if it doesn't count as subbing until No, it definitely did. Whatever. Yeah, I think it counts as subbing, but it lets you get your like shout out from the streamer when you're available when you're around where's my shout out i I have how am i going to get my parasocial relationship off the ground with you if you don't respond to me do you want to substitute a pair our parasocial relationship in for our actual relationship (laughs) no (laughs) no thank you you want to downgrade from friends to (laughs) stream stalker is that a downgrade or a side grade like you got probably a side grade i also like have a lot of feelings about the parasocial relationship thing. Like, I think that it's so disingenuous to be like, yeah, you know, y'all don't know me. Y'all aren't my, y'all aren't really my friends. It's just like creepy that you think like when you do a stream, like you are putting yourself out there and like cultivating a community and a relationship with the people that watch you. And you're profiting off of, especially bigger streamers and stuff, you're you're profiting off of like creating this illusion of a relationship and to simultaneously like profit off of that and then deny any responsibility or like the reality of the fact that like people are going to feel close to you is uh, I think a little wild and disingenuous. Extremely disingenuous. Yes. All, All of my favorite streamers are also smaller streamers. I mean, yeah, Twitch chat gets unusable after about like somewhere between like at like like Spike Stream is like the limit of and but also Spike Stream is just like you know, a lot of the people in the chat are totally fine unlike some streamers whose chat it can be not even that big and still unusable. Moderation is pretty neat. Yes. I don't need any though cuz y'all are all cool. Yeah. And we're still very small until you take off then it's uh it's all downhill yeah but you know we cultivate a i i mean we have our goofs and we have our japes but we're rarely like you know we're not like meme lords here we're not like doing weird nonsense like you know i i guess i played a i just played a deck where i cascaded into up the beanstalk so i guess we do some weird nonsense but we're nice to everyone about it to be fair, you saw that deck on the internet. Yeah, it wasn't my fault. I can't be held responsible. See, I I saw that deck way before. I think Nick was the one who linked it to you, I mm-hmm. believe. Uh, and I was just like, you're talking about the Stubborn Denial Scion of Draco Beanstalk deck. And I'm like, please just don't see the Cascade into Beans deck. Please don't see it. <laughs> I actually, it so I am... I am still more into the idea of a stubborn denial deck than this. Like, you know, I just played it because I had to play something today, and probably the responsible thing would have been to buckle down and start really getting in touch with like scams matchups. Right now is is what I should be doing, and probably what I will start doing on Thursday. But I I I just I wanted to have a little bit of fun in the meantime. I haven't been stalked yet, so I had to bean stalk a little bit. Did it bring you joy? I didn't get to see any of the games. When you cast Leyline Binding as Ancestral Recall and also kill something, it's very satisfying. If you, It feels very powerful. I mean, it is very powerful. <laughs> and it doesn't cost you card, just time, right? Yes. But, you know, the last match we played against Death Shadow, so the no fact time. that all of our cards cost us time was uh, pretty bad.
everyone, welcome to episode 309 of the MTG Grindcast, the modernist podcast in all of Central North Carolina. That's a word, right? Yeah, I forgot I wrote that because I yeah, wrote that on Sunday. And that it's was... weird that it has two hyphens in it, though. Well, I wanted you to pronounce it correctly. I didn't want to go for modernist or whatever. Oh, modernist either. Yeah. Because I didn't want to confuse people. I had to rewind the podcast be like, what did he just say? That's true. Yeah, we had to really, you know, get the syllables out there so we know what we're doing. And, and what we're doing is we're talking about modern today. It's modern and modern alone day. Yeah, uh, finally, I mean, we've, we've talked about modern, but we, we kind of were very tired of Pioneer after the three straight seasons of Pioneer, I think, RCQs. Uh, something like it feels like that. It, it's been, you know, 4000 years or whatever. Yeah, I know I won an RCQ in like May of this year, like the end of May. Maybe the yeah, early that June. was the last season. Yeah. And that was the, the last season. Yeah. <laughs> The most recent season before today, uh, this past weekend, started off the modern season of RCQs, which I was ready for a change. Yeah. And of course, the uh, RC that you qualified for in June or May uh, has not happened and will not happen until December. Yeah, so. I've got three more months on that thing. <laughs> not even worried about it. The way these seasons are timed and, I, you know, I, I don't know exactly like what needs are being served and stuff and just like how the calendar works out and and I'm, I'm sure there's a reason for it but it does feel very silly to win an rcq and then six months later you have the regionals that you qualified for i could have missed an announcement on this but watsi is not using dreamhack for the the next rc after atlanta uh it is in denver i believe and it's not attached to dreamhack so i don't know what's going on there but i am excited to hear that DreamHack is not a part of at least this RC, this like modern feeding RC, and hopefully none of the RCs because I do not like DreamHack. Yeah, I, I think that it will be nice to have a little bit of a change. And also, I really like Denver, so I'll hopefully be qualified for that one. I've never been to Denver. It's nice. We should do when when is that one? Is that in? Oh, that's in January, my friend. Jan- Wait, so there's one in December and then there's one in January. That is correct. This is annoying. Like it, that's it could, legitimately it could annoying. Be, I could be mistaken, and it could be in February instead. But I know that it is Denver in a cold month. <sighs> that is too bad. Denver in the spring is like ideal. Spring or early summer. Oh well, I've never. I guess not, we won't be going and doing any mountain hiking, but or we'll freeze while we do mm-hmm. it. Hey. I don't know. I've never, I've never been that high before. <laughs> it's fine. You know, you know. I, I think that the city is very cool, but also there's just like infinite, incredible parks within, you know, an hour or two mm-hmm. drive around there and tougher to enjoy them in January. Yeah, because it's going to be cold. Yes. So cold. The, the funny thing is that in the Pro Tour is in Chicago, also like in the cold month. Yeah. So that's also really awkward. Chicago is an extremely cold place. Yeah, I mean, I wonder how much of this is like. I, I mean, I know a lot of it. It's usually is fueled sure. by right, right, right. Exactly. That's why we had GP Hoth, right? I don't even remember where that was. Yeah, you just end up in the cities where nobody wants to be at that time of year because it's way cheaper to get convention center space. 
Yeah. Do we want to be in Chicago in the summer or when it's uninhabitable? I guess we can only afford uninhabitable. All right, let's do it. Okay. No <laughs> options. Here's your Dragon Lord Silumgar. Thanks for showing up. <laughs> oh, great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Nobody even plays this shit in Commander. <laughs> that was the funny part. I felt so bad for everyone because they're like, at least I can offload it to the Commander players. And the Commander players are like, oh, bad. Yeah, news, we're, buddy. we're way past Big Sower of Temptation. <laughs> anyway. What's on the docket? I know I wrote these, but I don't know what order you want to go in <laughs> or whatever. Uh, I'm down to talk about your RCQ weekend and just general modern thoughts, and then we can just go into the results from this weekend. Okay, yeah, cool. So I took a trip out west to the grand land of Charlotte, North Carolina. Was it, wasn't it Gastonia specifically? No, that's not until this weekend. Oh, okay. And jury's still out on attending that or going to Roanoke. Because mm-hmm. they're about the same distance. Roanoke like feels closer to me, but maybe that's just because I've made that drive so many times. Yeah, Roanoke does feel closer. And also, I'm also slightly terrified every time I go to Roanoke from here. Because there is a specific way the GPS wants you to go. Which is all like blind curves on mm-hmm. a rickety road. And I hate going that way. Yeah. <laughs> yes. A, a lot of state rural highway type areas yeah there's like one specific stretch of road that's like 25 miles or something and it's just all hills and all it's all trees you can't see anything yeah you you just have to pray no one is coming the other way (laughs) (laughs) It, it makes me very anxious i have never died going to roanoke though for what it's worth yeah i haven't either i've got a good track record but so but i guess maybe it's only a matter of time well, death will come for us all. We just yes. have to hope it's not on the road to Star City Games. <laughs> yeah, and then you wouldn't even get to play your RCQ. You'll never get that Dragon Lord Zillamgar. <laughs> hey, the top eight promo is Death Shadow this time, which is pretty cool. The art that's nice. Is nice. Yeah. yeah, that's a nice one, for sure. But anyway, went over to you know Charlotte. Playing Twiddlestorm was the deck I picked for this past weekend. Uh, because it got, I, I played this deck a couple weeks ago just at a local and I've just picked Mississippi's version and then people tuned it in the like two weeks since I played it. And I was really, really, really impressed with the deck. Honestly, hmm. uh, I kind of went into the local expecting to be like, this is a meme deck I'm playing for fun. And yeah, I, that's kind of how I expect to do with it. Like I'm just going to do okay. And I'll lose a bunch of games because my deck is not functional and that's yeah. going to be okay. That's, I know what I'm signing up for. <laughs> Then I played the local and I won all my games except for the two I just completely punted because I wasn't thinking hard enough. <laughs> okay. And I was like, oh, wow, this deck has got some fire in it. This yeah. one ring card with this twiddle is really powerful. Turning your twiddles into like split card, like draw spells or rituals is definitely the draw to the deck. See, that's actually easy to understand. And what I was initially going for, like, oh, yeah. Dark Ritual Ancestral Split Card, mm-hmm. Hidden Strings being both of those kings, like entwine. Like now we're in business. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't realize and was actually more important for the deck is that the one ring just gives you a turn. Like yeah. combo decks like this, where you you're not being interacted with on the like a traditional sense, like all your permanents are uninteractable or 
our Lotus Field. Yeah. Yeah, you get an extra land drop, you get an extra card draw, like you, you you're know not that you're getting there. For the turn. Right. Like yeah. you, you get you get a card, you're not gonna die, then it goes back to you, and you have the ring untapped with an untapped lotus field. You don't have to like cast the one ring and then go off in the same turn. You can just cast it past the turn. Then on sure. your next turn, you have yeah. untapped fully mana and you've got all your weight ring and all your cards, and it's like if you ever hit that board state where you untap lotus field, you untap the one ring and your opponent has nothing in play that's gonna kill you. Like mm-hmm. uh or that's stopping you, like Blood Moon, Dothy Voidwalker, Orcish Bowmaster, that sort of thing. Because Orcish Bowmaster is actually really good against the deck because of the One Ring. Not all the time, but if they have those like those hate permanents, mm-hmm. it's harder. If they, yeah. If they don't have those hate permanents, you like a hundred percent win the game. It's not close. Sure. Because that okay. the, the turn sequence is just so strong. And a lot of the stuff that people are doing is not capable of interacting with like. The things that you're concerned about in modern are generally not spells, twiddles being cast from the stack. Like the cards we're running are solitudes and furies and one rings and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. See, I was worried people were going to be playing the beans deck, which we'll go into more later. But essentially, mm-hmm. everyone's really, really hyped up about the. I don't even know what it's called. I've just been calling it beans so much. That's the beanstalk? Is that the name think of the about, card? You're just thinking about those beans. Yeah. Think about those beans. It is up the beanstalk, right? It is up the beanstalk, yes. Okay, yeah. So it's up the beanstalk card. Got a lot of hype. People started... So I thought people were just going to like jam it in their four-color decks and whatever other decks they could play, but mostly four-color, mm-hmm. and just like kind of go ham with their card advantage engine. Uh, and we'll talk about the four-color deck later. But that's kind of what I was expecting, uh, and less scam as a result of that. And if I'm just playing against beans control... Which is what I'm going to call this four-color deck from now on. Yeah, <laughs> four-color beans. They have no relevant interaction against the draw right. deck at all. They can draw like their whole deck, and they just have all these leyline bindings and stuff in their hand. And and the way the twiddle deck wins is twofold. You can win with Thassa's Oracle. So you you have to have an underworld breach. So you underworld breach, uh, then you wish for Tomescour, and then it's like the old pioneer combo. Like you Tomescour yourself twice, then you untap your land, then you untap your lowest field. Uh, and then you do it all over again until you run out of library. That works yeah. because that's how that was the old pioneer win condition for for the breach deck that that got banned. Yeah, and then you win the game with Oz's Oracle. So that is extremely hard to interact with. And the way the only way the four color kind of plays to deal with that is endurance, mm-hmm. which uh, and this was one of the factors at the local I played. It like what drew me to the deck being so resilient is that endurance is like pretty bad because when you've done the ring thing i described earlier right you just you keep going up in cards and they endurance you to put cards back in your deck and you just draw those cards again <laughs> like i beat someone through two endurances and it was not close you also can give yourself protection and not have to think about it anymore if you want sort of kind of if you give yourself protection you can't tell yourself anymore Oh, that's really funny. Okay. <laughs> but that doesn't super matter because you can also like almost draw your entire deck with the one ring. You just have to kind of be careful with numbers. Like you can draw to yourself the, like two cards or whatever, then like, mm-hmm. can't trip the rest of them, then play the Thassa's Oracle, or just like sure. use Devotion 2 on Thassa's Oracle to win with two cards in library if your opponent's not playing removal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't super matter a bunch, but you, you can't do that. Gotcha. If I have to one ring on my own turn, 
Uh, I, there's a grape shot in the sideboard to kill with if you're right. not able to kill with uh, Thassa's Oracle. That's what the grape shot is for. If you ever like look at this list and you're like, okay, I'm winning every game with Thassa's Oracle. Why do I need this grape shot? I'm boarding it in. No, it's just for when you have to play a ring on your turn, so you can't Dawn Scar yourself. Gotcha. Okay. So I thought this deck was super powerful. I think it is really resilient because the one ring just gives you such good grind value. The only things I was worried about were decks with just a ton of hate cards and drawing them all because it's like pretty difficult to deal with someone going uh, Dothy Voidwalker into Orcish Bowmaster and then dealing with all of it mm-hmm. before you kill them. Interestingly, uh, that those those cards are all in a specific deck in this format that also plays Grief and Thoughtseize. Yeah, so I, I played that matchup, and it's not as bad as you'd think, because you mm-hmm. can beat one of those cards really easily. It's not sure. even a problem. And in their average like opening hand keep, if they see one of them and like a scam draw, the scam draws aren't that threatening other than the damage they present. I mean, Grief, could, grief Scam can beat everyone. But yeah. the Fury scam is no big deal because you can just tap the card and it gains mm-hmm. you a life. Yeah. <laughs> like you, they can't they can't actually connect if you need a turn, which is hilarious. Uh, I cast it against someone on the RCQ, uh, a scammed Fury, and they're like, "It's already untapped." And I'm like, "No, no, no, no. We're, no. we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> tap it because I ha- I actually cast actual Twiddle on it, and it was a I have beta Twiddles, so mm-hmm. it was just an old ass Twiddle that's like." caster may blah 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 this does not trigger effects or whatever whatever the beta <laughs> version says <laughs> very helpful thank you beta twiddle yeah uh so at my rcq i played against round one scam round two scam round three scam oh my and- god <laughs> <laughs> and my round four was grix's death shadow i actually did really poorly my opponent said pretty good draws my draws were not good enough and I don't think I played as well as I could have mm-hmm. to mitigate that. Uh, and even though I lost a bunch, the games I won were not close. Uh, and the games I lost, I could have either drawn a little better or played a little better, and they would have turned out a little different. Those That's are also thing. just definitely your two worst matchups uh, yeah. out of like the popular decks. So I'm sitting next to like four color beans every round, and look, or or hammer or something. Look like where where are you? I want you, please. <laughs> There was buzz after this tournament I played on Twitter, people doing well with the Twiddle deck. Like I played this on Saturday and then someone did really well in the super qualifier with Twiddle Storm and people were on Twitter talking about it. And one of the things they liked was their scam matchup because the deck is resilient and the games you win against scam are just like, they can't do anything to you. You you play the one ring, they don't have a relevant card and then you just kill mm-hmm. them and they lose. Yeah, or you... you- like they don't have a void walker so underworld breach is just like a game winning draw whenever you do hit that yeah i, I can see that yeah and the ragavans don't do anything against you yeah like at all right because all your cards are f- very specific to what you're doing yeah ragavan hits a dreams grip and they're like uh what does this do take a minute to read it and then they're like ah, no no we're not casting that <laughs> Bowmaster is pretty annoying, but you can also win without the one ring. You can just do the the Underworld Breach Tomscar loop doesn't require you to draw cards. So I've I beat Orcish Bowmaster by just, you know, drawing enough cards with the one ring and winning without my opponent triggering it for lethal. Sure. Uh you also can do cool things with the card Wish. Uh, if you haven't played a Wish deck before, Wish is templated very strangely compared to all the other wishes you may have played with in Magic. 
uh, the way the card works is w you cast it and the text of the card is until end of turn you can play a card from outside the game you do not have to specify what the card is and you don't have to do it until much late like you can you can do a bunch of actions and then choose the thing you're doing with wish <laughs> right so one of the things i did in the tournament which was uh really smart and <laughs> i think most people wouldn't like think of immediately and my opponent definitely didn't mm -hmm. is i was trying to play an orcus bowmaster but i needed to tap my ring but if i tapped my ring it was lethal if they had a bowmaster so i cast i did some mana stuff cast a wish and then tapped my ring wish resolved if they had the bowmaster they flashed it in to try to kill me i w i could abrade their orcus bowmaster from my sideboard with my wish yeah if they didn't have it that's my wish. I already had to cast this turn anyway, and I could just keep going through my turn. Sure. Very cool. Yeah. Lots of cool stuff like that. Also, every time I cast a wish and didn't immediately cast the card, all of my opponents didn't know what was happening. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's not a very played card, right? It's a and it's it is really weird templating. It's also most of the time people play wish in modern is the scape shift deck where you mm -hmm. just wish and then cast scape shift immediately and win the game. Yeah, it's either wish put Valakut in play or wish seven mana scapeshift that like almost exclusively yeah, relevantly you cannot wish for a land like a channel land and then use the channel ability because it doesn't put it into your hand you just right. can play it until next turn so that was my rcq i had a cool moment in round four against my gracious death shadow opponent whose name was trip a uh, really cool guy i had played against him in a at an atomic empire uh months ago i think this was maybe one of the first rcqs when they weren't all pioneer because mm -hmm. we were playing modern there too and he, he was playing uh grixis death shadow there as well uh super cool guy he didn't have an orcish bowmaster token like an orc army token so after he made one for like the third time in the match he drew so many orcish bowmasters <laughs> like he didn't have a token so i was using the back side of an art card to make one uh, and then once he made the third token or whatever i just grabbed a sharpie drew a token for him for the rest of the tournament so he could use it for the rest of the tournament and gave mm -hmm. it to him and he loved that and it was very heartwarming <laughs> nice i do always enjoy when i have a legion token to use for the tournament so it just took like 10 seconds during the match just draw a quick token my opponent loved it uh it was definitely not my best work but it was mid-match <laughs> <laughs> It was cool. Like being nice to people is is great. Yeah, I agree. I think that making friends at tournaments is uh, one of the best parts of going to a tournament. Also, because people will just look out for you if you're friendly. Like even in the tournament, I have a story. So our judge was a go getter in this RCQ. He wasn't okay. like bad or anything. Mm -hmm. uh, he just had like a little too much energy. I know, I know exactly what you mean. Yep. So one of the things very early in the tournament, I was playing round one uh, against Scam, obviously. And my, me and my opponent had the understanding, this is the way the ring works. I play the ring. I don't have to announce the trigger. It doesn't matter. Uh, if my opponent tries to do anything while I have protection and I say, hey, I've got protection you just rewind a little bit like the trigger is unmissable as long as you acknowledge it when it's relevant that is how yeah. the card works that's how it's been ruled on that that's just how it works me and sure. my opponent both understood this and we played our whole match like it but 
while we were in game two or three or something like that, a table a couple of chairs away from us was had a judge call where someone was trying to rule strike their opponent missing their ring trigger. Because mm-hmm. the, the player with the ring didn't announce it. The opponent was like, I want, I want this player to have protection from everything. I want to kill them. So they called the judge. Uh, and the judge ruled that you had to announce your trigger. Mm. Which is incorrect, but it doesn't matter. That was the only judge at this door. There's no appealing. That's just how the rules worked now. So For the, for the rest of the tournament. <laughs> and I found out that in round one, which was nice, because I had not been announcing my ring triggers. I just, yeah. like, I knew my opponent. He knew me. We, we were just playing, like, the game as it should be. Mm-hmm. So when we go into round two, I'm playing against Scam again, and I go ring trigger i say trigger and then pass turn and my opponent's like stops before he untaps and's like hey i know we're both on level also this this we've played uh, this player and i played against each other in so many rcqs so we both also know what's on the level here but he was sitting next to the guy who had that judge call in round one so he's like hey i just so you know uh you need to announce your trigger when you do the one ring or you don't get it the judge ruled and I'm like, no, no, no. I, I said trigger. Also, yeah, yeah, I heard the judge call. I, yeah. was, I was right there with you, buddy. But I, I, pr- I appreciate you looking out for me. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Just for today, I'm warning you that we are operating under these rules. Yeah, very good to look out for people in that way uh yeah i really appreciate it It was like not necessary because he he just didn't hear me because i you know i speak softly Mm -hmm. and even though i i said i got my thing like he just didn't hear me so he was warning me that this is how the card operates for this tournament and he didn't want (laughs) me to get caught he wasn't trying to take advantage of me he's just like you know letting me know right 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 which is cool like i i think communities should try to do that and magic is i agree has been lacking in that before in the years I've played. Also, like, I I think that it is very silly to like regard whatever the rules are about triggers. Like, if you cast the one ring, every you have protection. Like everybody knows you have protection. Like that's just how it, how it works. Like you you put the ring into play from the stack, and you, now you have protection. It's not like a missable thing. You can't you can't cast fable and not make a goblin or whatever like it just it just happens that's that's what you were expecting from the entire thing that you spent your turn doing so we, we all know as proud as i was of my like opponent looking out for me mm-hmm. uh, equally disdainful of the person who caused that ruling to be issued because that's just like come come on dude like what yeah. are you doing here like we're here to play magic your opponent successfully paid four mana for a card in modern to get its effect don't don't try to shark them out of it. Like, it's not that he thought his opponent missed the trigger. His opponent, like, he attacked his opponent who had the ring in play. He's like, I've got protection. And he's like, nah, you didn't say it. I'm going to get you. And then call the judge. And that's just Stupid. like, dude. Just play come magic. On. Come on. The people who try to play this way are the people who are not going to improve. Yeah. you're You're prioritizing the wrong things. And one of the things you should be prioritizing, too, is after the match, both players like walking away feeling like, you know, that was a good experience. Like I I enjoyed playing against that opponent 
because the more positive your interactions are, the more connections you'll have, you'll make in the community, the more pleasant your tournaments will be, the better you'll feel after playing tournaments. Like prioritizing being nice to each other is like even like forgetting like it's nice to be nice to each other. Like it has utility to you as a magic player is being nice to other people. Yeah, like I, I can drive three hours to a tournament, lose the first two rounds to scam, and still have a good time. Like yeah. I very much enjoyed the interactions I had with my opponents and getting to draw tokens and whatever. Yep. I wouldn't mind uh, playing some modern tournaments that are less infested with scam, but that's that's nobody's fault at the tournament. I <laughs> when so round one of the tournament game one of the tournament turn one of the tournament mm -hmm. i get grief scammed yep here we go and i immediately had a flashback to ccr tweet if i get grief scammed one more time <laughs> i'm gonna have a joker moment <laughs> or whatever it's 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 i'm gonna become the joker it's, yeah yeah it's a permanent situation that i'm hoping to avoid but i i just laid out my hand he took two cards and off we went, you know, I actually I won mean, that game, I believe. Right. And I mean, like we've adjusted to getting grief scammed. Like that's a big part of the format and having a deck that doesn't just fold to getting double thought seized and a clock being put into play. Like that's why rhinos sees a lot of play because you can recover from that. That's why the ring remains good, even though a lot of people have tools against it and it rarely like wins games on its own the way it did the first couple of weeks it was out is because, you know, you keep a land heavy hand against scam and now you have cards that you can top deck that will allow you to win the game after any of that. Like we have adapted, but it still feels bad a lot of the time. And I, I will say that my opponent grief scammed me pitching a Dothy Voidwalker. And the whole time I was getting scammed, I'm like, okay, I, I'm pretty sure I have a way better chance of beating Grief Scam than I do Dothy Voidwalker <laughs> into something else. Like, that was going to be a pain. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that that's a lower percentage for me if they go Voidwalker into Vo Master or Voidwalker into Voidwalker, heaven forbid. Like, that's, sure. that's going to be a pain to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyways, to talk about the format at large a little bit, you know, this is the first week of Wilds of Eldraine being available i saw a post that somebody had made after like one challenge on reddit somebody was like is this the least impactful <laughs> modern set of all time and i was just like what are you talking what are you talking about because even just between cauldron and up the beanstalk like the format has been reshaped by by this like like the the bounds of what you're allowed to do are now different like these cards are really important yeah, and, and for what it's worth, I think the cauldron is absolutely monumental right now. Yeah. Like, I, I've seen this past weekend, a bunch of Yawgmoth decks were playing the cauldron. There's a bunch of cool combos you could do with the cauldron mm -hmm. uh, just in the Yawgmoth shell. And, you know, today and yesterday, outside of the challenges, people are playing leagues with all sorts of crazy decks. I just uh, got away from a young Dingo stream. He's playing a devoted druid vizier deck that's also doing tyvar cauldron familiar stuff or that's cool familiar. tyvar agatha soul cauldron stuff yeah yeah that's, that's just really cool. a thing you can do now for unfortunately soul cauldron works like really badly with devoted druid like yes once you start like it, 
I didn't quite process. I was just like, can you turn a creature like into a devoted druid? But once you start untapping it, then the plus one plus one counter disappears and then it no longer has any of the ability. So that, that unfortunately doesn't work out the way that you want it to. But there, there's a really cool loop with in the Yagmoth deck with mm-hmm. um, Soul Cauldron. So if you have an undying creature, it doesn't matter which one, uh, either Young Wolf or Stranger Geist, uh, and you've imprinted a wall of roots on your cauldron. That means your your wolf has you know put a minus one or minus o oh, minus one counter on this at a green mana. Uh, that doesn't cancel out plus one plus one counters because it's not a minus one minus one counter. Mm-hmm. So if you have a ballista, a walking ballista, or a spike feeder, uh, also imprinted on the the cauldron, I'll use spike feeder as an example. You can you know have your young wolf die. It needs to have the counter on it. So you activate the wall of its ability to make it a 2-1, uh, then you remove the counter to gain 2 life with the spike feeder ability. So you lose the wall of its ability, but your creature still has the counter on it, so it dies. You gain 2 life, the young wolf comes back, and you're, you're at the board state you just were at. You can just keep doing that for infinite life and infinite green mana. Uh, obviously, if you have walking bliss instead of spike feeder, they just die. You just kill them. Yes. Yep. Right. You, you just need a creature that lets you remove the plus 1 plus 1 counter, and then, yeah. Yeah, people talk like when the card was spoiled, people very quickly saw the Agatha's Soul Cauldron, two undying creatures, Yagmoth imprinted on the Soul Cauldron. That's mm-hmm. also a, an infinite. Yeah. Uh, infinite being like however much life you have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're just making a Yagmoth, like you're, you're giving yourself some redundancy and having Yagmoth available to you because it's that that activated ability that lets you do it. So yeah, that that's very obviously good. Grist imprints is very obviously good, but yeah, there's some more subtle ones in there that, that can be really powerful as well. Yeah. And, and people are like exploring those imprints now uh, and we'll see at, like how the format shapes. Cause there's a lot of cool stuff. Like soul cauldron is a really cool card. Uh, I know spike was did pretty well with a soul cauldron deck and what and the hardened scales in one of the, the challenges. I don't remember which one. Yeah, actually, and Hardened Scales showed up in a few different tournaments this weekend, like in the Super Qualifier, which is a 500-person tournament, by the way, uh, just just in case anybody's keeping track at home, a 500-person tournament with four RC slots, uh, where it, it, things are a little dry out here for Moto players trying to qualify for stuff, but there were two Hardened Scales lists in the top 32, each had three Cauldrons, I think Cauldron is just so good in the Scales deck, it, like... At, at a baseline, it's putting plus one, plus one counters on your creatures for zero mana each turn, turning your basically all of your stuff into Arcbound Ravager plus Walking Ballistas, and it works really, really well with Ink Moth Nexus. Like, tapping it to put two counters onto an Ink Moth Nexus, and then that thing has Walking Ballista ability, so then whenever you get them to, like, five poison, and then you just take off your counters to because it still is infect damage. So, uh really really good tool for making the deck resilient and just able to keep dealing damage over the course of the game it also has the the non-sexy combos with the cauldron like the ravager the ballista those are excellent no one is gonna question them but just like a hangerback walker yeah is pretty good too if it's just on all your creatures uh and zabaz has the weird thing where uh, cauldron color fixes the Zabaz activations. So if you didn't draw your horizon <laughs> canopy or whatever, right. you can just give Zabaz flying. And if you imprint Zabaz, you can just give all your creatures flying. Like if that's something you need to do in a game. Yeah. Or if you didn't hit a Ravager, you can use 
Zabaz's red ability to kill your creature that I mean I guess it probably just a, a hangerback walker is the only one that you'd like particularly want to kill but you know that's possible yeah that, that's really the only one we're going to kill the, the flying can be really relevant because I've had situations in the past where I've made a, a construct token with Urza Saga and I just moved some counters on it from the Ozolith or just used the uh, Shattered Spire to put a counter on it just because sure. that's what I had in play and if I had imprinted a as a Baz, my cult, my my construct could just kill them. Like I could yeah. just jump it and then just <laughs> kill them. That's really cool. Yeah, I yeah I I think just over time you you'll keep discovering more and more little synergies with the cauldron. I mean, any activated ability can be good in weird situations. I I was playing a brew that was just like an Asmore Emery Urza deck with cauldrons in it because like all of those creatures have powerful activated abilities and if you just always have access to them then you can get yourself out of a lot of situations you know uh, probably suffers mostly from urza being just an expensive card that's a little behind the times but yeah, not as good as night of sweets revenge no no i i i mean i was watching a i was watching spike stream with night of sweets revenge and it was you know pr pretty good it had some potential yeah, I'm jealous of this because I was talking to Alan yesterday and he also mentioned he had watched a stream of uh, Spike playing this deck. And I have yet to see gameplay of this deck. I have seen the deck lists. Mm -hmm. and I can imagine the the board states. It's very easy for me to do that. I just haven't seen it been played yet. Yeah, I mean, Underworld Cookbook Academy of Manufacture is pretty nice. Like, just a nice way to, like, start getting jump-started. Uh, the deck itself, uh, you know, eh... Like there, there were some like weird dead ends that it ran into. There was a lot of like, boy, if they had a bowmaster in play here, like we would have a problem right it now. It would be over. So you know, it it's a thing. It's it's fine. Uh, I I do think like Asmore has looked weirdly impressive in a lot of games that I've seen it in in current modern. See, that's interesting because I think. I've been more impressed with the Asmore package than the Asmores herself. Yeah, that's what I mean. But Asmore providing that backstop of like, if there is a Bowmaster in play while I'm trying to do my thing, I can take it out is is helpful. Yeah. I think at one point Spike's deck had like two Asmores in it instead of four. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, you still have the card, but you don't have to draw it all the time. That, that yeah. seems fine to me. You know, especially in a finale deck, like you have access to a, a decent number of Asmores without having to draw a ton of Asmores, and that's kind of nice. Let's talk about the beans. Everyone's yeah. talking about the beans. Yeah, the beans are good. It's just a really good card. Not not a universal adoption in the four color decks. I think it's like 50-50 in the four color decks that performed this weekend. Some are full just like standard ring decks some are going heavy on beans some are 75 cards and 26 lands <laughs> and with, i don't really no beans. no no, no the, the 75 card list has beans in it oh perfect okay but uh i don't really like that one broke me the 26 land 75 card one that <laughs> one was just like i will never attempt to build a four color deck again i will just copy one that's the only because i don't know how these decks are built I, I mean a 26 land 75 card deck is approximately equivalent to a 20 land deck and uh, like yeah you got your beans in it but 
like the Yorion builds played like 29 lands and had baubles and abundant growths and uh like even more cantripy stuff at the like very very low end I, I mean I guess we've got delighted halflings and beans and if you have a beans or a renin six and you have two lands then you're kind of there but uh, it just it feels really light to me I had talked with some four color players about this, and I think the consensus was that the worst part about the 60 card four color deck is that you need to play so many lands because your curve's so high. But mm -hmm. you don't actually want to draw that many lands because Ren 6 is so strong, and yeah. the one ring just gives you infinite lands anyway. So, and, and Delighted Halfling, people were on the verge of cutting because there's just too flooding out too much. Right. Uh, and this 75 card 26 land deck looks really weird but in that context feels like i'm this person's just tired of flooding out yeah and i mean flooding out is a real thing and and a lot of, like any game that goes past turn five or six with the four color deck that you lose is generally because you look at your hand and it's seven lands after you've done all of your card advantage stuff so i i totally get that inclination but 26 lands also just feels like a way to be like stuck on three lands after they they prismatic ending your Ren and six and you never actually do anything productive. I'll leave that to the mad scientists to determine. I am not likely to ever play a four color deck. I'm not, sure. I'm not even going to copy one. Like I, I had that time. I don't like it. Uh, and the reason I don't like it is yeah, maybe something we'll go into later when we talk about like RCQ stuff, but if, about the beans itself. Uh, you talked about the the lack of adoption in the beans, like 50-50 split. Mm -hmm. I am I generally don't like the beans card uh, personally. Like it, mm -hmm. it just doesn't inch towards ending the game. Mm -hmm. But it is huge. I think it is actually hugely important for the four color deck. Yeah, because what it's really bad at is catching up and maintaining parity in the early stage of the game not having to play a million four drops to do that uh, and the bean th the beans lets you do that you can play it early and then every time you solitude or fury or leyline binding from then on out you're getting your card back so you're 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 just going to stabilize it's, you're not going to have those awkward draws where you instead of up the beanstalk in your hand you're looking at you know you play ren and six and you're looking at the one ring and your hand is all lands and you like are trying to solitude them out so you can live from your their hammer draw or whatever mm -hmm. you're not going to have those anymore which is a huge like win percentage gain for this deck yeah i i agree completely and it you know like the the playing very few lands thing also means that you're more likely to have colored cards for your pitch elementals in the first few turns of the game and can capitalize on triggering your beanstalk that way. And it's just less like, ah, my cards really don't do anything. And I legitimately just can't cast spells here because my cards aren't spells. So I, you know, I, I definitely get that like deck building inclination. I also like Isaac's build with time warps in it. I think time warp providing <laughs> you that, that angle. And also like in a very weird way, triggering up the beanstalk with time warp is like great. It's like very good. It, it's kind of like having another play. Right. It's like having other like it's having additional like mini planeswalkers in play. Having planeswalkers or creatures in play is necessary to make time warp like particularly good. And up the beanstalk like counts as a little mini planeswalker that makes it just that much better. Yeah, the the reason I like Isaac's um like time warp thing 
is because the, the reason I dislike this deck is it doesn't win the game fast enough. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is a problem if you ever go to any RCQ and you just look around the room or time is called and you look around the room. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you one of the matches is going to be a four-color deck. Uh, and it's not even if necessarily that they're playing slow or whatever, though that is often an issue. Uh, it's more like their deck just cannot close if your opponent is also interacting. <laughs> and yeah. that, that's a real issue. Like you have these Omnats and your one rings and up the beans. You're going up the beanstalk so much, but your clock is an Omnath that can get bl like blocked very easily or like a Solitude or something. And th these just cards just don't close the game. <laughs> yeah. Like they will close the game given time, but right. because... But you don't have enough time. <laughs> your deck is so slow to actually close the game you you run out and you end in draws and it's really bad uh, which is actually one of the cute things in isaac's sideboard i saw in approach from the second son or some i, th I think it was i don't remember yeah. if it was isaac or yeah no else. he had a, i think it was in the, i think it was isaac that had an approach yeah yeah there's an approach from the second son and uh he boarded in against the mirror and decks that were likely to drag on because he just needed a haymaker and the one that says you win the game on it was the best one yeah for him and I'm yeah. like, okay, this is a man who is serious about actually finishing his matches. Yeah, it's and like he's just playing on Moto. Honestly, kind of better than Emrakul, except that it can get Dovin's vetoed, obviously. So you know, the, there is that problem with it, depending on how people are playing these matches against you. Yeah, I will say the Dovin veto, like out of the four color beans deck, is not that prevalent anymore. Mm -hmm. It probably should be. The, I think that. I don't know. I'm definitely in the like Jarvis camp of like Dovin's Veto is just the best sideboard card in the four color deck sideboard because it fixes everything you're bad against and just does it the best out of anything. Sure. Just see, you know, Fluster Storms is the, the counter spell of choice mostly. Yeah, that's I don't know. I, I definitely have had the experience where just like fluster storm is you know th there was definitely like the i brought in these fluster storms against creativity and now i have a fluster storm up and they have cast teferi time raveler and yeah. that's that's not a good and, and you know we're not playing against teferi we're not playing against creativity that much anymore but the the you know fluster storm has its weaknesses yeah but once people realize you can play beans and then trigger it with creativity people just start playing creativity decks yeah <laughs> it's not, not an artifact not a creature <laughs> triggers beans trigger your beans you play leyline binding in that deck you can't play the elementals though so the that's not the best <laughs> yeah put that one on the the back burner yeah i don't i don't know if bean creativity is is really where we're gonna end up you could just tweet out bean card like as a tweet yeah, and someone will try to build it as long wow. as the card has five mana. <laughs> so, so like I definitely have the the bean brainworms where I want to do like just not the four color stuff with beans. I, I I keep like trying to think of ways to do stuff with beans, including side of Draco, stubborn denial <laughs> of the beanstalk. That you know that's not not possible. I want to do like time warps or like temporal trespass with beans it's hard to play a deck that puts enough cards in its graveyard for temporal trespass and then also plays up the beanstalk but you know 
that's a potentially pretty powerful combination of things. I don't know. There's a lot of like, how, how can I plant these beans sort of energy in the air right now? Yeah. I'm, I'm actually excited about modern for the polar opposite reason. Like I think people are too beans happy, Mm -hmm. um, deserved or not. Uh, it's just, it lends itself to a deck that does not play interaction as heavily as before or interaction like i care about like i played the 12 storm deck right and i could have rolled into beans decks all day and been super happy about it yeah uh and that's one of the things i really like about this emerging modern format where the combo decks uh yogmoth i bought a bunch of yogmoth cards this past weekend because the deck looks really strong with the the soul cauldron yeah uh and scales and just stuff where we're just doing something sideways we're taking advantage of people just like in this beans beans arm race <laughs> trying to chop down the the beanstalk yeah i mean and i think that my main hope for the beans is that it kind of knocks rakdos down to down a peg or so uh if it if the card does what i hope it does and you know kind of remains to be seen like the only consistent thing from all of the online tournaments this weekend is that every single one of them had a bunch of scam decks in the mm-hmm. top 32 and maybe our, our our bean builds have not had enough time to like proliferate and mature and maybe when they do scam will have a hard time keeping up with them and that's hopefully what happens but also just like scam has survived a lot uh it was the best deck going into the pro tour every good player in the world qualified for the pro tour knew it and knew they had to beat it and it was the best deck at the pro tour and the most heavily played and uh you know it's very resilient and format changes don't seem to have the hugest effect on it right now because it's just continues to be the most powerful thing you can be doing i think the scam deck is going to be impossible to fully get rid of now Mm-hmm. Uh, I was optimistic with the One Ring uh, early on before we realized Opus Bow Masters was as good as it was in yeah. Modern. Uh, I, I was like optimistic the Scam deck would see its way out because the One Ring would just be too good against it. But I've kind of realized by now that there's such a high floor to turn one double grief you. Like it, it, it's just very strong against everything. It doesn't matter if you're favored against Scam. Like I just went through a, a pitch on Twitter, just a bunch of posts saying Twiddlestorm is a free matchup for scam, but you can still just get like double griefed and Dolly Voidwalkered and just lose. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, th- th- that can happen to any deck. Right. The there's a a hard floor on what any deck's win percentage can be against Rakdos because of the games where you just get like grief scammed followed up by a two drop that's good against your deck. Like in heaven forbid you have to mulligan. Yeah. Like sometimes you can't keep every hand. Right. And and anytime your six card hand gets griefed, and especially if it's and 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 this is one thing that I I have learned and also need to continue to do better is when you like mulligan against grief. When you mulligan against scam, the only thing that matters is you have enough lands in your hand. Yes. And so if you go down to six and it's like a functional two land hand there's a decent chance you should just go to five and keep four or five lands if you possibly can do that. And, and as if you're making land drops, you have a way better chance of winning than if you start missing land drops and then like you don't have top decks available to you because how can you cast the one ring when you have two lands? Yeah, I agreed. 
I ran into that situation, uh, especially this past weekend where I played a scam a bunch. Uh, I was just keeping, I, I basically kept every seven mm-hmm. because I just needed a Lotus Field and lands to cast it. So if I had lands and some cantrips, you know, good to go. Like that's yeah. all I need. Like I, if I lose my hand, we can draw into something. Yep. And, and as long as you have any of those like turnaround cards, if you have the one ring in your deck, hands that can get to hands that get to four lands are gold. If you are rhinos, hands that can cast your cascaders are really good. And that becomes the most important thing in any game where you do get Thoughtseize, Grief Scammed, anything like that. And they can't take your lands. I mean, they can take some of your lands because we're running land cyclers now. But if you have lands, you always have the ability to draw your good card. One kind of sideways comment on Scam I was thinking about earlier, just because of all the Soul Cauldron decks going around right now. Uh, all, all the Scam decks have just replaced Feign Death with Not Dead After All, which is the rule version of mm-hmm. that card. Uh, but what's funny to me is that if people are playing a bunch of soul cauldrons and you ragavan into one, you no longer have like free access to plus one swan counters and you're against your opponent's Agatha Soul Cauldron deck, which mm. is super cute. <laughs> that is funny. Uh, I, I got not after after all day lot this past weekend, and it did not do one damage to me once. Yeah, I mean it's a minor, like yeah. the most minor of minor upgrades. Mm-hmm. Still good though. Yeah. The big upside is that the name is much easier to remember because all of the other versions of that card just have like very generic versions of each other. And I don't know which one. I think is I like, could uh, name them. If you've undying undying evil is the undying one. Undying mm-hmm. malice is the non undying one. Yeah. Feign death is the one from D and D, I believe. Right. Which is but the generic like, version. They're all they're all very generic and not and dead after rebirth all. is the, the flip card. Yeah. I mean, great, but also I, I appreciate Not Dead After All having a little bit of character to it and, and feeling a little distinct. It, it bothers me that when you pull out the roll token that the Wake of Token was misprinted. It's it's the frog one <laughs> instead of the cauldron. That is unfortunate, yeah. <laughs> so it's just like, yeah, I'm very wicked, this frog. This frog. <laughs> um, it does raise the question, though, as some cards do, of like, what is a spell? Because like... You know, a lightning bolt or a fireball. That's a spell. That's a wizard is is throwing some fire at you. Uh, you know, undying malice, undying evil type things. Kind of okay. There's some sort of like necromancy thing going on. Somebody has made this creature so that it can't die. Not dead after all is a story beat. That's not. That's not a magic spell. That's a. <laughs> Sorry, I tricked you. Like I'm still here. Well, we're not going to have a different classification of instances of sorceries that are just story. Oh, no, I know. It's just that there's a certain number of spells that are like definitely not spells. They're just like a like what what is a yes. What is a bitter reunion? Like that's not a spell that somebody cast. Yeah. Snow day. (laughs) That's just a moment. Cathartic reunion. One of your favorites. Yeah, I mean, I love it as a card, but it's not—it's not really a spell. But that—that that card, some cards like that, at least you can like, I don't know, channel off the like magic of the moment or whatever. Like, there's some inherent <laughs> like magicalness to the thing that is happening. Uh, not dead after all. That that sort of thing is just like, all right, I guess it's an instant. Sure. I mean, we live in a world now where literal stories are just depicted on enchantments as sagas. So, mm-hmm. you know, just all yeah. for the ride. 
like yeah, a story that, isn't that's true how can you tell a story in the i mean yeah the the, the magic of storytelling so <laughs> exactly you can't think about it too much that's it's important to just kind of like let the vibes carry you through it otherwise you get too hooked up on or like hanged up on how does the birds of paradise carry a batter skull well the ba- the batter skull like takes over the birds of paradise I would sword say. of fire and ice it's the a, sword of fire and ice is the funnier one to me or the the colossus the Umi- hammer i guess the umazawa's jite thing is is kind of cool because it doesn't really work with birds of paradise and it's just like yeah of course a bird is carrying this dagger thing and it doesn't know what to do with it it doesn't work until it does right and then then, then once the bird gets really big it can wield it that's fine this all makes sense i understand Anyway, this is uh, going to be a, re- a wrap just to say that we should print Birds of Paradise and Pioneer. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> Everyone loves Llanowar Elves. I, mm, uh, green already only really does one thing very well in the format. Mana? It, it, it just, like the main green cards are just eight copies of Llanowar Elves. And it would be nice if we were doing something I'm a, a little sil- different. I've been Sylvan Scrying Gamer. That is not a green deck. I play Arboreal Grazer. Uh-huh. Uh, yes. That's a green card? A, a Llanowar Elf. <laughs> Emergent Ultimatum is triple green. Emergent Ultimatum is not a green card. <laughs> it's the greenest card mm-hmm. in my deck. It's Emergent Ultimatum is a red card, if anything. Just in three non-red cloaks? Yes. But it, it's it's just like a giant impulse effect. Do we want to go over results? Do we want to go over anything else? Yeah, let's let's just like peek through the results a little bit. As I said, the only thing consistent about the super qualifier and the challenges that happened, I tried to play in the Sunday morning challenge, but unfortunately, probably, you know, because the super qualifier the was super happening qualifier. later that day, uh, the Sunday challenge did not fire. Uh, the sun, the yeah, the Sunday challenge didn't fire. But among the other tournaments, really, the only thing consistent throughout is that scam did well in every single one of them and uh no nothing too like crazy like there's no new cards for the scam decks not meaningful ones not dead after all is of course the minor upgrade and then kind of like in each of these tournaments there was a deck that did well alongside scam so in the super qualifier uh four color did pretty well and then Merktide alongside of it also had, you know, four copies in the top 32. Preordain really, I believe, doing a significant amount of work to make Merktide just a better deck than it was a little while ago. Uh, Preordain is incredible. Like, yeah. I I played it this weekend. And I kept playing against Bowmasters. And I'm like, in sideboarding, I have some sleight of hands in my deck. I was like, do I want these sleight of hands or do I want these Preordains? On one hand, I don't take damage. On the other, Preordain's really strong. Yeah. <laughs> It's so good. And it's like, I don't know. It's one of my favorite cards to put in my deck in like vintage cube and stuff. Like it just, every time you cast it, you're like, I'm going to win this game. It was also really nice. Uh, I I bought the jumpstart ones, the Japanese ones that has like someone peering into the water. It's very Mm -hmm. pretty, very Mm -hmm. colorful art. Uh, And it made you just feel happy every time I drew it. That's nice. I I love, I, I rarely am super careful about like the versions of cards that I have. But when I find one that I really like and it just like makes you feel good when you have it in your hand, like that's, you know, hold on to those. That's really nice. Yeah. 
The first Saturday challenge, the deck that did well alongside Rakdos was Amulet. Uh, six copies of Amulet in the top 32. Very, very impressive alongside six copies of Rakdos in the top 32, which is just like running as expected at this point in modern, I would say. Uh, I think that basically you catch a weekend where the Rakdos players are going pretty light on their Blood Moons, and then that matchup is a lot better for you if they're like not really main decking Blood Moons and you can get those game ones pr relatively easily then that's a big deal. And Amulet, I think, is quite well positioned against a lot of the other stuff in the format in, in that case. But if the best and most heavily played deck in the format is main decking two Blood Moons, then you don't really want to be doing Amulet as much. I think it's still okay because the the volume of Modern is so high. Like mm -hmm. Even though a bunch of scam decks did well, they, they gravitate towards the top. So you're going to be playing against them in the winner's bracket. But if you're just looking for, you know, top eights or whatever, instead of winning the whole tournament outright, I think Amulet is a very good choice because it's it's good against a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Just naturally, I, it's a very powerful proactive strategy. I will say I was playing. So today I played a very silly deck, uh, which was the a the cascade into up the beanstalk deck, which uh, very goofy concept but at the core of it is i have a lot of up the beanstalks i have and then i have a lot of leyline bindings and solitudes that i can cast with these and and that strategy did feel really strong against amulet where i was just like i'm gonna put my beanstalks into play and then i'm just gonna stop everything that they do and have so many cards that it doesn't really matter what they do from there now granted that build of the deck just also has four subtleties which are astoundingly good yeah. against against titan I, I think that specific version of the deck is a bit of a anomaly yeah because the, sure. the normal full color deck you don't play that many subtleties if any uh you're not always going to have your beans because you're not designed to cascade into it right <laughs> which is probably the correct way to build a modern deck so like that that one is definitely an outlier but when you do play against somebody who goes beans and then they have solitude and leyline binding in hand, I think it is really, really tough. Uh, luckily, I think the four color, you know, beans deck has relevant weaknesses across a bunch of modern that you don't have to worry about it being super prevalent, other than sure. just like pure love of the the strategy. Sure. Like I, I would be more concerned about trying to get percentages against Rakdos than I would against the Beans deck, especially if I'm playing at the RZQ level and, you know, most of the four-color players in the tournament are going to get a draw. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, and I think that should be your focus with basically every deck that you're thinking of bringing to a modern tournament is just is number one priority is understand how you're playing against scam. It continues to be the thing that you need to know, know your plan against and know how to play each in-game turn very well. Like you can't be playing and then be like, oh, shoot, this turn is actually going to be really bad if they have Bowmasters here. I completely forgot about that card. Like it, they are. It is a real like. I don't want to say chess match kind of thing, but it is a think ahead for what their hate cards are going to do to you kind of thing. And also understand your mulliganing versus their thought seizing. And so one of, one of the cool things about the scam deck and playing against it is that all of the cards they play are proactive and reactive at the same time, except for like Ragavan, I guess. Mm -hmm. But 
the, the cards they play, like Fury, Bowmaster, uh, even Void Voidwalker, are all interactive cards after they've attacked you, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> like they're they're doing stuff. So you can plan out your turns. Like if my opponent has XYZ, how how am I gonna act in each of those instances? And the the reality that Ractus is a very strong deck means that you're not going to be able to have a winning line if they have like two of those specific cards at some time. And that's that's just gonna be part of it. But you need to figure out how you can navigate through what you would expect your opponent to have reasonably. And some of that is just like normal magic stuff. Like if they had a fury, would they have played it last turn? That mm-hmm. sort of thing. And and a fair number of games are just like, I've been grief scammed. If they don't play a two drop, then I have a chance. If they play a two drop, then that's too much. And then they play a two drop and you kind of don't have to worry about it anymore. You're you're dead. But that's okay. That's <laughs> just magic. Saturday, the second Saturday challenge. A whopping nine copies of Racto Scam in the top thirty-two. Uh, it's not like the it's it, it's not going away. This one did get one by Yogmoth Claudio taking it down, and three copies of Agatha Soul Cauldron in the deck. Just a really nice looking build of it here. Uh, nothing like nothing too crazy besides that, but it. You've got all of your main ingredients, uh, four Young Wolf, three Strangler Geist, no Bowmasters, or no, no, Bowmasters is main deck, so this kind of has everything in it. Yeah, Bowmasters is incredible, because not only is it two creatures for cord, nowadays it's also a plus one, plus one counter creature. Yep, yep. <laughs> so you can access your your abilities off of it. And and in a Grist deck in particular, maximizing the number of creatures you have in play that have a plus one, plus one counter on it means that you can just create these turns that are like... Oh, there's a Grist in my graveyard. I'll have three Grist activations this turn. And that's crazy powerful. I saw a cool kill out of Yawgmoth uh, uh, in the RCQ. Someone was... Uh, their opponent had played a ring, so they were under protection. Uh, and then the the Yawgmoth player's turn was... They, they didn't have a combo line, per se, but they had like a good setup. So what they ended up doing was drawing cards with... Uh, Grist tokens and Yagwath, uh, and then using the mana they hadn't spent to discard their cards to proliferate onto their Grist and mm. the opponent's ring. They did that three times, ultimated the Grist, which does not target, right, and is loss of life. That's so cool. So it ah. hit their opponent down low enough so they would die to their own ring, which had been proliferated, and their upkeep. That's it was sick. incredible. That is really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that this deck is heavily improved by Agatha Soul Cauldron. I do think that there is some level of increased weakness to graveyard hate that comes along yeah. with that. And, you, you know, it always used to be like, yeah, I guess I'll bring in these graveyard hate cards against Yawgmoth because at least they stop it from comboing off. But now they're they're improved. And in particular, Leyline of the Void is pretty gnarly against the, the Yawgmoth deck at this point. Also, opposing soul cauldrons make it mm-hmm. pretty tricky. Like when that card catches on, you're kind of in an arms race. You can only have a one soul cauldron to play because it's legendary. Yeah. Uh, so you're kind of in a staring contest with your opponent, or you're switching back and forth between. You know, it's my opponent's instep. I can tap to try and exile something. They'll get that one, and then I'll get something else. Mm-hmm. Like that sort of thing can happen. Yeah. Uh, and but if they have one that's more important at that point. If you if you like misevaluate it all and you're like, I'll take this so that 
then you know you can have it and then they're just like oh but it was much more important actually for me to have like your haywire might undermine and now like now you're dead yeah it's a a neat little balancing lever to the like how powerful the soul cauldron is in the yagmok deck Mm -hmm. i i have also liked it one of my favorite soul cauldron things is uh when you play turn two soul cauldron and then they tank for a minute and then they just like play out their renin six because it's their only turn two play and they just can never get a fetch land back with it (laughs) yep you can exile any card with soul cauldron not just creatures Mm -hmm. it's nice Uh, yeah one of the things that like let me being way more into soul cauldron than i already was was I, i kept seeing unlicensed hearse in random sideboards and i'm like what if we just put soul cauldron in here yeah and one of those decks was a heliod deck and I'm like, okay, what if we just put Soul Cauldron here? Oh, it's really good. Wait, should the Yulia deck just be playing Soul Cauldron? I think so. The only thing that is tough there as as compared to putting Soul Cauldrons into the Yawgmoth deck is that your collected company numbers start getting a little bit questionable at some point. Sure. I, I will leave the deck building of the Heliod decks to you know, the Heliod players. Sure. I, I, I'm not very good at optimizing collect company numbers and whatnot. And, and I mean, another one of the weird things, too, is that the Heliod decks have started to lean a little bit more towards like less of the heavy activated ability stuff like the the scurry oak part of the combo and, and like the related mechanisms around that are all cards that don't really do anything with Agatha Soul Cauldron. Yeah, see, the thing I'm envisioning in rebuilding these decks is taking out all those cards, because they're not very good unless mm-hmm. you've comboed with them. And then you could put cards that support the Soul Cauldron more naturally in its place. Sure. I, I think that's a good a, a direction you can take the deck. I don't, I'm not going to say it's better, because I, I don't know. Right, but if you are going to main deck Soul Cauldron, then it's probably something along those lines. Right. But yeah, th- this, this Yogg deck does look pretty cool right now. I will say Rosie Cotton and grist under a soul cauldron is an infinite or you get as many bugs as you want that okay yeah yeah that that is really cool because rosy cotton is probably the only reasonably playable version of the like metallic mimic like grum gully thing that like gives you that plus one plus one counter that that combos with grist like you can't actually play metallic mimic or grum gully or whatever in modern but rosy cotton does have a reasonable place as a two card combo with other stuff and uh yeah that 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 is pretty sick you don't generally have grist in the current rosy cotton decks so it's gonna have to be a whole abzan thing that you're coming up with from scratch we're definitely brewing like it's a work in progress but yeah. i do think the heliod decks are a little weak right now like they they do show up every now and then uh, in the results so there there's something to them uh, but i don't think like every time i've played against them or seen them be played they've just felt a little off to me mm-hmm. i think there's definitely work that can be done to improve them and grist is also just like a really knockout really good yeah have you ever hit on the plus one and then realize that you get a loyalty counter off of it too and then just been very confused about how you could ever lose the game at that point yeah i've never hit off the plus one and i have played grist uh before i just i just haven't been lucky i guess 
mm-hmm. but I have played against Gris that is hit, and it's yeah demoralizing. It's it's just game. There's just nothing. I I remember distinctly maneuvering like a board state to if my opponent plays Gris and upticks, I can just kill the Grist and it's no big deal. Like even mm-hmm. through the insect, and then I couldn't do that because there are two insects. And an extra loyalty counter, which I just didn't even realize until the first time I hit with Grist. And I was like, why does it have this? Oh, my God. Why does it have five? Yeah, you can hold it. You can hold her right after. Yeah. And then she counts herself in the graveyard as a creature. Cute. It's very adorable. Grist is so, so awesome. Grist is probably my favorite Planeswalker design. It's so cool. Yeah, it's a tremendous design. I love everything about that card. It also just inspires all of these like weird little deck building thoughts and stuff that like, you know, obviously there's the soul cauldron combos and stuff, but you're also like, you know, I can get this off of company. I can get it back with unearth. Like I was looking at a deck that uh, Rodney posted the other day that was like a call the death dweller deck with Bowmasters in it. And you just also had grist and like you can just get your grist back with call the death dweller and put a. Put a yeah, put death a touch death counter, counter on it, it for some reason, but <laughs> I mean that's that's like having the you know insect tokens have plus almost one and loyalty counters, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's just part of the Grist experience. The death touch counter on the bowmaster is pretty nice, though. Yes, that that was like a, a big part of the. Ooh, this deck is kind of neat. Uh, my note on the Friday challenge is that I keep seeing like one domain zoo in like every one of these top 32s and it's, it's starting to give me a headache. So I just have a request that everyone stop playing domain zoo. So I don't have to keep seeing it here. I mean, I've played against it and lost to it. I've lost to it. Either of those things very often, but it's, it's definitely a tech that can spike you. Tribal flames is strong and I hate that card so much. Honestly, it's what kills me more often than not than tribal flames is the the stubborn uh, denial stubborn denial yeah yeah it's probably the best stubborn denial deck including like death shadow yeah i think stubborn denial is just like that 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 was the thing that was the only reason that i was like can we play cyan of draco up the beanstalk and the entire like goal behind that is to somehow create a stubborn denial deck because stubborn denial is a phenomenal magic card yeah and it's it's very good in this deck it actually makes the Rhinos matchup for this deck very easy as well. Sure. You get down a threat and then they have to spend three mana and get encountered by a one mana spell. Yeah, and they have Leyline Binding too, and their clock is quick enough where they can just top deck Tribal Flames and kill you too. Like this this is one of the few decks where I'm like, oh wow, the Rhinos matchup is just like unconventionally really good. Your Tarmogoyfs and Territorial covers are also just bigger than their Rhinos. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to play Tribal Zoo, but I, you know, I get that Stubborn Denial just like creates a wreckage of a turn cycle where like the, the Zoo deck did something proactive and then the thing that you needed to do in order to get into the game just didn't happen for one mana. And and that's where a lot of the power of the deck is. I get that, but I also can never justify registering Wild Nacatl in a modern tournament. Oh, okay. I have to interrupt this deep discussion about Domain Zoo mm-hmm. to share a post I just found on Twitter. I okay. just shared on Twitter. Our, our LGS rescued a kitten and are now taking care of I him. I saw that, yes. His name is Bean. Is Bean. Very <laughs> Honestly, cute. this is a great name for a kitten. It is. It's ideal. It's good that, that the cat came around at, at this time where the the 
card du jour is also an adorable name for a kitten yeah it's perfect <laughs> anyway back to modern yeah i mean is there anything else we really need to talk about obviously everything is in flux right now we as we see by like how these metagame makeups shift from tournament to tournament the only thing that's consistent is like you're gonna play against scam twice in a tournament and if you're not ready for it you're gonna lose to it twice okay so let's let's talk about some rcqs stuff yeah gonna gonna grill you real quick go for it uh question number one hey ccr you want to go to an rcq this weekend with me i can't go this weekend (laughs) Uh, that's okay (laughs) not to one that's three hours away i'm sorry Oh, yeah, I understand. It is a trip. I will be at every one of the local ones and like reasonably available ones, though. Yeah, that, that's fair. Question two. Are you... Sh- no, I'm just, no. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what are you looking to play? Are you trying to keep it flexible, pick a deck for the season and go? Or like, what, what's, what, what are you thinking? So I have a couple of thoughts here. I, I have a... a a plan in the works right now which is to kind of get a broad experience of playing modern decks and spend like a week or two on each of the primary ones and you know get a bunch of matches in and then get some coaching on stream from one of the like deck experts uh and then start taking it to some challenges and and maybe rcqs depending on how how i'm feeling with it to try to get a little bit more of the like focused learning time with some of these decks because like right now you know i've played matches with amulet i would never bring amulet to a tournament that i'm seriously trying to win uh and i would like to have would you even enjoy amulet I think Amulet's cool as hell, yeah. Okay. Just I, checking, because it's the deck that's, like, definitely not for everyone. Oh, for sure. But I, Despite you know, what you would think in our general area. Like, everyone plays that deck around here. <laughs> fun in a lot of decks. You know, like, I, I have had fun playing Murktide. I have had fun playing Four Color. I have no desire to play Beans Mirrors in an RCQ. <laughs> and I don't think... I think that that's probably a thing that I'm just not going to make myself do at all this season. I do think that you are best served in 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 modern especially and it's probably different for pioneer and it's definitely different for standard but in modern i think that it it is a great plan to have your main your primary deck and keep playing it and be as good as possible at playing it and tune it week to week as long as it's you know in the core group of decks that has the ability to take down an rcq on any given weekend i i think that in modern deck knowledge and just like matchup under not not even just deck knowledge but specifically an understanding of how the matchups play out is so incredibly important because the cards are so cheap and like casting elementals and stuff at the exact right time is such an important part of playing the game and it is difficult to do that with a deck that you don't have enough experience with i think you're really well served by playing a deck like day in and day out for a while and and getting as good as possible at the like in-game decision making with that deck i think that that is really helpful and probably the best way to go about an rcq season for a lot of people 
I I agree that that's a good strategy, but I'm gonna give it a little little spin, a little mm-hmm. twist. Uh, I think people, and I'll I'll include myself, myself included, uh, have a tendency to stagnate and just like uh, fixate on the deck they want to play. Sure. And I saw this, you know, in the unending Pioneer season that we had just i went to a bunch of rcqs and i i'm granted i was always playing low steel as rcqs i'm not right apologizing not for that right right but uh, to be fair i was winning a lot a lot of games i was stopping mm-hmm. all those rcqs and, and won so the thing i'm talking about is if you are playing the deck that you're you've been playing that you have experience with and it's not working out for you like mm-hmm. tournament in and tournament out you do need to do something different. Oh, for like sure. You, it's not a good idea, and it's very easy to just make excuses for yourself. And you're you're immune to this if you know you're the four color guy and you love playing it, and you're just not going to enjoy playing anything else. And if that's what you want to do with your time playing these tournaments, and you just want to have a good time, I, I think that's fine. Like this doesn't really apply to you. But if your goal is to try to win one of these locals RCQs. And you, you know, have vast experience with Merktide, but it's just not going your way. Like you just keep losing or barely top aiding. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be time to try other stuff. Like even if you enjoy Merktide or whatever, you want to win, maybe try Scam for a few times. See if you can drive with that. Just try Amulet. Try just something else. Just broaden your horizons a little bit. Because every time I have branched out and played a deck that. I eventually gave up on or quit. It's given me a lot of insight into just the game in general. Yep. Yeah, for sure. You, you you do need to check in on yourself. And if it is like not a sane thing to continue playing the deck, then absolutely. And I'm, and I'm not like speaking like, you know, you pick Hardened Scales, for instance, mm-hmm. which is a, a proactive deck, and then everyone just starts playing a million cards that are just haymakers, like Stony Silences everywhere, whatever. <laughs> I'm not talking about like metagame changes, though that is something you can think about too. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm. this is more of like a personal note, like if your results aren't matching your expectations, I think you should try to do something different, whether that's prepare more with the deck you've picked or try something else. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I, I think that having a deep knowledge of a deck will also kind of teach you when, like, you should know how it feels to be playing tournaments with your deck and having a legitimate shot to win those tournaments. And if you're comfortable with a deck, you'll also know how it feels. Like, when when you show up to tournaments a couple weekends in a row and you look around the room and you're playing your matches and for whatever reason, it's just like... Yeah, I, I don't think I can win these tournaments with this deck. Like knowing your deck very well will make that conclusion a little easier to come to instead of just like, ah, I got variants out. It, it was like, well, you know, actually you're playing four color. And if you look around the room, like here's two people on Twiddle Storm. And here is like this nonsense happening that you just can't really prepare for anymore. And here's a person just playing a little too slow that you're going to have to eventually play. Yeah, yeah, it, it can be that, too. Like, uh, actually, there's 10 percent of this room is four color and they don't have as much experience as you do. And you're not able to rush them and you're going to get an unintentional draw in a bunch of these tournaments. And that's going to cost you like it could be any number of things. And 
knowing your deck well will let you more easily like parse that information and understand what to do with it. Yeah. So with that in mind, do you have any proclivities to what you you want to pick as your deck right I now? Think, I think what I am supposed to do here is enter the hyper the the hyperbolic time chamber and get really really good with Racto scam. I think that doing anything else is probably costing percentage points unless I hit the point where I'm just really not enjoying Racto scam and it, like I'm not looking forward to my RCQ weekends and I mean it's a game we have to have fun but Racto scam isn't an unfun deck to play and I yeah, I it just plays to, magic. Yeah. And so I I don't think that that is a risk. Um, I just need to like bite the bullet, play the best deck, the clear best deck, and learn how to play inside board the mirrors very well. And I think that that's probably what I'm going to do. And that's probably going to be mostly my approach to the season is is just really lean into it. So I have a funny story about Rectus Skim. So I was driving home from a random local one day with Kenny, and Kenny had just lost with some crazy death and taxes brew. And we're trying to get, I was trying to suggest decks that, you know, I or he owned the cards for that we could just like make him a new deck or whatever. So I just started listing random decks off and we got to scam and he's like, no, there's no way. I just don't have the cards for scam. I can't play that one. And I'm like, I don't know. I've got Void Walkers, Furies, Griefs, Ragavans. Yep. I've got Bowmasters. Yep. <laughs> like, this is not out of the realm possibility. And he's like thinking about it. He's like, no, 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 stop. Shut it down. I don't want to. <laughs> it's, it's, this is too close to reality. I was going to say, Lee, can I borrow your Ragavans for this RCQ season? Uh, yeah, probably. I don't think I'm playing Ragavan this Although season. Although they're, they're much cheaper now than they used to be. So you Yeah, know. they got a reprint. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Mine are may, pretty. You may pick up the care of it. I have an extra one. I, if you're buying them, I do have an extra one. Just okay. to let you know. Well, we'll see. You know how much I fall into this, and and et cetera, et cetera. I do need to pick up some bowmasters, but then I should have pretty much everything else. So my plan right now, as far as uh, my deck mastery curve, I don't know how it's going to go. I have never really been. I know it seems weird because I just came off like five seasons of Pioneer playing only one deck, <laughs> but I'm not really a deck mastery guy as much as I am. I just want to play something that's interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Right. And use your format knowledge to let you kind of leverage. Right. And in Pioneer, I only played Lotus Field because that's the only deck that interests me. <laughs> <laughs> In modern, there's a lot more variety, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm looking to play, at least for the next two RCQs, uh, I'm, I'm likely going to play Scales this weekend because I, I have all the cards. I don't need to look for anything. I've even got the Soul Cauldrons now, so no worries there. Sure. And it's a deck I think has some weaknesses. Like I don't think it's super strong, even though it does have results here and there. Uh, but it's a really fun deck. I really enjoy playing it, and it is powerful. It has a lot of really cool lines, and especially in local tournaments that I'm driving to the country for, I think you can definitely leverage just the board state yeah. <laughs> as a, a tool at your disposal. Yeah, especially with the like bizarre range of things that these permanents can do uh, and players that are not used to playing against hardened scales aren't used to knowing that 
like, oh, I'm going to be dead next turn if I don't do this, this, and this. But as a, a long-term goal, I am planning on picking up Yawgmoth and like seriously playing it and putting it through its paces. Because with the advent of... I've always had an interest in Yawgmoth. I've just never really bit the bullet. Yeah. Uh, but with the advent of the Soul Cauldron, I just... I love it. I, it's so... It's hit that critical mass of doing really cool stuff that I really look for in a deck. Like It has so many branching lines and paths that I think is super cool. Uh, and it does it all on this axis that is unrelenting. Like It's really hard to deal with all the Yawgmoth stuff. Yeah. Like Most of the games Yawgmoth loses are... Well, a lot of the games I see Yawgmoth lose is just like to itself a lot of the time. Like its mana base is really bad or, you know, your, your opponent grief scams you and plays a blood moon and you can't do anything under that. Mm-hmm. that those sorts of things. But Yawgmoth is strangely resilient now and it has a lot of cool sideways combos with the Cauldron. Yeah. As well as a lot of cool sideboard plans. Like I know Claudio, I can't find his list because I have way too many tabs open, but I know Claudio <laughs> played Fulminator Mages in his sideboard, which is a really cool plan against decks like Tron or whatever, because you know you have the Fulminator Mages and then your Undying Wolves are also Fulminator Mages. Yeah, that's really cool. I hadn't thought about that. There's, there's a million things that I think that's the response to. It's like once you see it, then you're like, that's really cool. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> like giving them that activated ability is really powerful. Yeah, there, there's a lot of cool little things. Like even Haywire Might just being a very strong... We know Haywire Might's been good forever. Yeah. Uh, but it's really only been played in Karn decks and Urza Saga decks, right? Yagmoth is now playing Haywire Might just because it's a good card mm-hmm. that is incredible with Agatha Soul, Agatha Soul Cauldron. The, yeah, it, it's definitely really good. It is funny the way that the synergy works out is like you can only sacrifice something to an activated ability in the graveyard that lets you sacrifice if it has a plus one plus one counter, which means that if it's an undying creature, it's not coming back into play, which is a, a, a funny little bit of awkwardness, but obviously giving yourself access to a bunch of Haywire Mites or a bunch of Fulminator Mages is is still really good. Yeah, you, you also have the option, right? You're not going to do those things unless they're advantageous to for you. So mm-hmm. you're not going to like cauldron the, the the haywire might away until you want to kill your opponent's stuff. You're yeah. you're willing to use your creatures like that. Yeah. And also, you know, sometimes you have an orc army, and that's just free. Oh, for sure. And and sometimes you have an orc army, and like. Can, are getting another orc army because they drew a card and like that's on the stack and then you just get to start go just going off doing stuff like like imagine drawing an extra card against two open mana when your opponent has a fulminator mage under an agatha soul cauldron like you just can't ever draw an extra card in that spot it's terrifying like are, are you willing to lose two lands here like is that is that what you're telling uh, me uh... <laughs> Yeah, I, so Yagmoth is a deck I'm really interested in in picking up and really starting to play more sure. seriously. And I, I've already you know spent money on. Thank God Yagmoth got a reprint. <laughs> uh, all of the most of the cards I need. I'm still looking for like random one or two. I was like a Patra. It was really hard to find. And I think I need some black green sack lands as well. Need some horizon lands. Do you have your Twilight Myers? I do actually. That's good. <laughs> Got some old. I have. I already had an old even died one, and I bought another one. Yeah, it is funny. I think like one of the big reasons that the mana base sucks so much is Orcish Bowmasters. 
because you have to run delighted halfling as your mana guy instead of an actual mana guy yeah but i mean at the same time orchestra masters was is really good it's really for good the for too. the deck that's so, true even got better with soul Gauldron. so i'm not gonna complain too hard no no it's just funny how the little like dominoes fall down a little bit and just the the things that result is like orcish bowmasters exists so now i really struggle to cast my spells in yawgmoth a two color deck is is a very weird like set of circumstances yeah i i did see someone at, at one point play like a one of gilded goose i think it was in yawgmoth just to like have another mana dork that didn't die to bowmaster <laughs> But I only saw it the one time, I think, because, you know, yeah, when you don't have a good card food synergies, it it doesn't it doesn't do the thing so well. Yeah, but you exile tag as a soul cauldron, make a food every turn. That's not getting you anywhere. No, that's not pretty good <laughs> at all. Compared to, compared to the other things we were just saying you could do back at the soul cauldron compared to the oh, every one of my orc armies is a fulminator mage or a haywire might. Uh, that, that one's less impressive. Okay, yeah, but did you consider that you could tap black black for the food creating ability? That's cute. It's very adorable. <laughs> it's not quite putting it over the edge for me. Okay, okay, I tried. Yeah, I think Yawgmoth is a great choice for a deck to learn. I, I, I do think Agatha Soul Cauldron is just so huge for giving that deck new angles, and I, I have a feeling that Yogg is going to be very impressive. It's also super fun to play. I, I enjoy playing the deck. Yeah, it, it yeah it is. It, it's really fun, and you get to just play four grists. There's a lot of games yeah. you just win by playing a turn two grist, and, and that just kills your opponent. <sighs> I, I have yet to solo a game off a turn two grist, flipping an insect, but I cannot wait for it to happen. <laughs> Got to run a couple more haywire mites, really pump those numbers up no nah, i'll just run one other grist and it'll be okay i'll just hit it every time hey white white is nice though too it is and then it's in your graveyard for cauldron purposes all right one of the things i have not mentioned is you do have to draw and play the cauldron which is can yes. be an awkward turn off especially for something like heart and scales where you really need to be putting creatures into play and do stuff because when you when you have like your modular guy and then that's the only creature you have in play and your one's like oh my god my removal does something go 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 yeah but the, the good thing about the soul cauldron is that it has haste affected like it does the thing the turn that it comes into play and turns your stuff on and like you can go 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 from there so you can oh, sandbag your yeah. cauldron yeah one thing i didn't mention about the the proliferate pay from earlier from the young moth player uh-huh soul cauldron makes the Yogmoth payment not black black which oh, is actually that is actually relevant. really nice if you need yeah. to do it multiple times, you need it to not be black black. Yeah, yeah. Because you can even spend your delighted halfling mana on it. You can. Yeah, you can. Nice. Cool. Well, I think that is good enough for today. I, I think we just wanted to sort of like get into what is happening in modern right now. And then, yeah, our sort of generalized plans for this RCQ season. Scam good cauldron good beans strong uh modern is is looking very interesting you know we'll see how how happy we are to have been playing this format by the end of the rcq season but it it looks really fun right now for for at least a while yeah i'm i 
I, I don't need that much to be happy playing in our ski season as long as I have a deck that I like enjoy playing with and I'm not miserable during the games. Mm-hmm. And considering I was not miserable during my gauntlet of scam matchups this past weekend, <laughs> yes, I playing. think that bodes well for me. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks everybody for hanging out. Chat, really appreciate y'all being here. Uh, listeners, thank you. We really appreciate your time. Uh, if you want to catch the stream, I am streaming these recording sessions live on Tuesdays, but I'm also streaming gameplay and etc. Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays, and Sundays. We'll be getting. You could have seen him play this super suspect Emery Cauldron deck. You know, we four won our first league with it. It was neat. I didn't. I didn't hate it. <laughs> I'm. I'm always down for a brew, just because even if it's bad, you learn why. Yeah. Yeah. And it was fun. And we definitely learned some things. Uh, one of them being just like, man, four mana is a lot to pay for a creature in Oof, this format. Oof. Ours is falling on tough times without <laughs> his buddy Mox Opal. Yeah. I mean, even with like a decent number of Mox Amber draws, it was still it was still tough. Yeah. Well, with Mox Amber, you have to draw other creatures. <laughs> I know. We had a few. But yes. Uh, yes. Mox Opal would be the best card in modern by a significant margin right now. What about those beans? Beans are good, but you're dead before you draw your second card off of beans in a Mox Opal <laughs> format right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sucks, though, because they just printed a like Dan Frazier secret lair. Mox Opal, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, someone tagged me in it, and I did not like it, but it's cool. That it yeah, it's, it's not really. You've already you've got Phyrexian Hands Mox Opal to. to yeah, CPO I love it. that one. I love that one so much. I, I just like the I'm a, a butterfly or a moth. I just I just like the colors, you know? Yeah, I know. There's colors in, very muted. in this one, but they're like yeah, yeah, exactly. Alright, y'all. Appreciate it. Have a great week. Night. I guess I can't say night when it's, you know, it could be a synchronous at any time. Yeah, that's their problem. Yeah.